Family, if you got a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to say hello to those gathered in our venue as well. We started a series last week called Peculiar. Uh, we're going through the book of 1 Peter, uh, looking at what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean that we are uh, called to be different, to call, called to be peculiar? And that's what uh, Peter talks about all throughout this letter. Uh, last week, we talked about the fact that Christians have a peculiar hope. Listen, no matter what happens to you tomorrow, uh, next week, next month, you have a guaranteed future that is glorious, and that changes everything. And uh, this morning, we're going to pick up at verse 13 and uh, continue what Peter is talking about here uh, in verse 13 down through verse 19. I'm going to ask if you're able to stand to please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let's look at uh, verse 13. Who's ready to get after it this morning? You're you're ready to learn something about how the Bible relates to our life and why we exist and why you're even here um, uh, on this planet. This is what Peter's going to talk to us about. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourself with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray, uh, please pray for me? And pray with me now as we go to him. Uh, Father, thank you for the joy of being uh, here today. Uh, We are now uh, placing ourselves under the authority of your word. We are not here uh, to listen to a man talk. We are here to listen to you. What does your word have to say about our life? And so, Lord, we just ask you by your Spirit to come and speak to us and give us eyes to see our lives correctly, not as the world thinks, but as you have called us to. In Jesus' name and for his glory and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, The statement that I'm about to make is going to reveal how old I'm getting. I remember... The days of Blockbuster Video. (laughs) Now, for those of you that have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, back in like Old Testament times, if you wanted to get a movie, you had to get on your camel or like an Uber chariot, and you had to go to an actual store. And there at an actual store, you would look at a shelf full of movies. And sometimes the movie you wanted was not in stock. I know. And what that meant, what that meant was you actually couldn't watch that movie that night. 
It was a dry and weary land where there was no iTunes. But all the way back in the good old days of 2004, Blockbuster was like the king of entertainment. And then along comes another company. And they offer the exact same experience from the comfort of your own home, the comfort of your couch, except you don't have to go to a store to get it. They will mail it to you. And you can watch it as many times as you want, keep it as long as you want. There are no late fees, and whenever you're done, you just mail it back. Then that same company starts to offer you the option where you can stream online and from your TV. And the company that I'm talking about is Netflix. That's exactly right. I'm just curious, um, how many of you in the last month, show of hands, the last month have watched something from Netflix? That's like almost every hand. How many of you, all right, same, same game, play along. How many of you in the last month have been to Blockbuster Video? <laughs> you know, one, be kind, rewind. All right, anyways. No, you haven't because they're like nowhere. Today, these are current stats. Netflix is a $60 billion company with 99 million subscribers, and Blockbuster is gone, except for like one in Alaska. But who goes to Alaska? Anyways, right? Blockbuster has vanished. Netflix has overtaken them. Why? Some of you may not know the backstory. In 2006, 2007, Netflix was, was struggling to gain traction. They actually came to Blockbuster and asked Blockbuster to buy them out, to, to buy their company, and Blockbuster said no. Yeah, talk about your whiff, right? They said no. Um, Eighteen months later, Blockbuster had lost 85% of its value. I mean, talk about a nosedive. Within two years... Blockbuster was bankrupt. Why? I need you to hear this. Blockbuster lost their focus on their purpose. You see, they thought they were in the retail business when in reality they were in the entertainment business. And when they lost sight of that purpose, it was so easy for them to drift away. You know what, faith family, that's not just true in the business world. And it, oh my goodness, there are all kinds of examples of that. That is also true in life, isn't it? Man, it's so easy to forget our purpose. It, it's easy for a politician to forget their purpose. It's easy for a parent to forget their purpose. It's easy for a preacher to forget your purpose is to preach the Word of God. It's easy for churches to forget their mission. And listen, listen, it's easy for a Christian to forget their purpose in the world. God has a calling on your life if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what Peter reminds his readers of here in the passage that we just read. Look at verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you. You have a calling. 
You have a purpose. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Right here, Peter is saying to his readers, listen, I know you're suffering. I know these are difficult days. I know that you are being persecuted, but I'm not about to let you forget the call of God on your life. Christian, you can't forget. You have to be daily reminded of the purpose that God has given you. What is that purpose? You are called to be holy. You're called to be holy. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Well, what is holiness? What is holiness? At least the way Peter is meaning it here. Let me give you a definition. You'll notice it on the screen. Holiness is this, because there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means. Holiness is being set apart from the world to display God in the world. Holiness is being set apart from the world to display God in the world. That is how Peter is using this idea of holiness. Uh, By the way, you don't need to take my word for that. Amen? You can amen that. That's okay. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You're not here to take my word for it. The issue is, is this what the Bible teaches in terms of what holiness is? So now let me define it. Let me show you in the text that that is what Peter means when he says, this is what you're called to. You're called to be holy. Let me take the first part, which is you are set apart from the world. You are set apart from the world. Look at verse 15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct since, now watch this, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That phrase, since it is written, is a quote. Peter is going back to the book of Leviticus. Anybody reading currently the book of Leviticus in your quiet time? I mean, there is nothing that will ruin a Bible reading plan like the book of Leviticus, all right? I mean, you're going along in like Genesis, you got creation and Adam and Eve and floods and Abraham and Joseph and you get to Exodus and you got Moses and, and burning bush and, and the Egyptians and, and the law and you get to Leviticus and it's like, don't eat bacon. And you're like, I'm skipping to the New Testament, man. I'm going to the New Testament. I don't know what all this Leviticus is about. Well, well, Peter, by the way, I'm not saying that's how you should be, right? Leviticus is inspired of God. And Peter is quoting Leviticus because this idea of holiness comes from there. Uh, holiness in the book of Leviticus was uh, given to a lot of different things. So follow me for just a moment. So, for instance, tables were called holy. Utensils were called holy. Uh, Pots were called holy. So clearly holiness does not just mean being moral. I mean, tables are not moral. What did it mean that a table would be holy or a, a chair would be holy? It meant this right here. In Leviticus, it meant that those things were set aside for a divine purpose in temple worship. What made that utensil, table, pot, chair, whatever, holy was that it was unlike any of the other things similar to it in that it had a divine purpose for temple worship. Now, 
we have this kind of idea of setting things aside for specific purposes, even in, in our everyday. For instance, think about like a wedding dress, okay? You don't go to Fuddruckers in that, or Denny's, or change the oil, or play basketball, or whatever. No, no, no. You look at that and you say, that is set aside for a specific occasion. If you wear that outside of that occasion, it looks weird because it's outside of its purpose. Or for instance, if you're golfing and one of your golfing buddies steps up to the tee with this, you're going to make fun of him or her because you don't use a putter on the tee box. Now, some of your golf scores might improve if you would just put it down the fairway, but that's a whole other thing. That club has been set aside in your bag for a specific purpose, and if you use that club outside of its purpose, it's just weird. Uh, last one, some of you have special dishes that nobody can touch. I've yet to understand the reason you have such dishes, but many of you do. My guess is you're waiting for someday when the Pope comes over and you have something to serve him a hot dog on or something like that, all right? But, but we, we all, my point is just simply to say this. We all have things in everyday life that we know that has been set aside for a specific purpose. Peter is saying from the book of Leviticus, you have been set aside, what it means that you're holy, you've been set aside for the divine purpose of God. Now, real quick footnote, by the way, this makes sense as to why God is holy. When the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they're not saying, he's so moral, he's so moral, he's so moral. What they're saying is, there's no one like him. He is in a class all by himself. He is separate from all things. He is holy. Peter has in mind the fact, Christian, listen, that you have been set apart from the world for a divine purpose. What is that divine purpose? Second part of the definition, to display God in the world. Look at chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a set-apart nation, a people for his own possession. Now watch the purpose clause. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, now you're God's people. Once you've not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or the unbelievers honorable. Now here's the purpose clause. Hang with me. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." Peter clearly has in mind that holiness is you are set apart from the world for the purpose of what? To display God in the world. Now, give me just a moment here to, to do a little side note, because this is how I think when I'm preparing for sermons. I'm asking myself this, okay? We're going to go deep for just a minute, okay? Hang with me here. I'm asking the question, how does 
salvation, which is verses 1 through 12. Like Peter's point is your story, Christian, is a narrative of salvation. You were chosen by God, born of God. You're becoming like God and you will be restored in God. From beginning to end, you are a salvation story, which by the way is why you have hope. Ain't nothing taking your hope away because you have a guaranteed salvation in Christ. Are you with me? How does that relate to holiness? If holiness is you're set apart from the world to display God in the world, how is that, you notice the therefore in verse 13, how is that an outworking of salvation? The answer will make the question I'm asking even clearer, and it's this. Do you know what your original purpose was as human beings? Why did God create Adam and Eve? Why did he create humanity? And then that will give us insight as to watch, watch what we're being saved to and how we live now, why it matters. What was your original purpose? Go back to Genesis. You'll notice it on the screen. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So right here, what does it mean to be in the image of God? What does it mean to be in, this is big, this is big. Well, a lot of people have a lot of different views. Some say, well, as God is rational, we're in his image that we're rational. Uh, God is relational, we're in his image that we're to be relational. God is moral, uh, we, unlike other created things, are to be moral beings. Well, I'm not suggesting that those things are not true. What I am suggesting is that is not how an ancient Near Eastern mindset would have understood, understood image. Okay, Image bearing in the ancient Near East was this, that... The image bearer gave a reflection of the one he or she was imaging. Let me, let me give you this example. Jesus, Hebrews 1, is the ultimate image of God. Hang with me. Jesus says this, if you've seen me, you've what? Seen the Father. That is, Jesus is reflecting, he is imaging what God is like. What's the point? Here it is, right here. Your purpose from the very beginning as to what it meant to be human was to image God in the world. That was fallen because of sin, which means your salvation right now has everything to do with holiness. Why? Because your purpose has always been to reflect God in the world. Christian, you've got a calling, and your calling every day is to show the world what God is like. That people are to look at you, and I know that there are broken parts of that mirror. I know that there are gaps and issues in our life. We are not perfect image bearers yet, but it is our calling to show the world the image of God. And that matters. 
when she gets your order wrong. And that matters when the ump calls your kid out at home plate. And that matters in how you care for the poor. And that matters in how you forgive. Why? The Bible says you are to forgive as you have been forgiven. How does the world, how is the world going to understand the forgiveness of God if those who've experienced the forgiveness of God don't forgive? How are they going to see the love of God if those who've received the love of God don't love? You with me? You are to love as Christ has loved. You are to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Why? Because you've been set apart from the world to display God in the world. That's your calling. That's your purpose. That's what you've been set aside for. Alexander the Great, it said, encountered one of his soldiers who was dressed sloppy and was just an absolute mess and Alexander the Great asked him his name, and the young man looked back at him and said, My name is Alexander. To which Alexander the Great responded, Then either change your name or change your behavior. See, we're image bearers. We bear the name of Jesus Christ. It's what it means. We're a peculiar people called out to show the world what God is like. That's our calling. Now, if you say, give me some examples of this, I say, come back next week. Because the rest of the book, Peter's going to give you examples like submission. (laughs) Some of you are like, would you tell me what week that's going to be so I make sure not to show up, right? We don't like to submit to authority or being a servant or how you suffer. You see, all these are things in which they are opportunities for which we can show the world what God is like to display Him in the world. That's our calling. Now, in order for this to happen, we've got to think differently. Amen? We, gotta, we, we, we need a complete um, paradigm shift in how we think about life, and that's what Peter deals with. Look at verse 13. He gives us two metaphors here of the mind. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Two metaphors about the mind here. Now, the ESV says, uh, prepare your mind for action. How many of you have a translation, and you're willing to admit it publicly, that says, uh, gird up the loins of your minds? Anybody? Anybody? We don't use that language. Some of you are like, I don't even know what my loins are, (laughs) much less how to gird them which sounds painful, by the way. Um, What is this language? Literally, it would mean gird up the loins. Well, it actually would have been very uh, easy to understand in Peter's day uh, because soldiers uh, often would wear longer garments. They might even wear like a full robe. And when it came time for battle, well, obviously, you're not going to run in a robe, Right, So they would gird up their loins, they would gird those things up so that they wouldn't fall. Because the last thing you want to do is trip like this guy. It comes time to give the rings and he steps forward and whoops, there he goes. And there goes the bride and 
the pastor <laughs> into, oh, into the swimming pool. That is like, I'll give you a moment to get over that, all right? Like, there's no recovering from that, ever. Like, that video just got played in church, all right? So, listen, like, the most embarrassing thing for people is the idea of, of, of tripping up. Like, you don't want to trip when you're walking down the aisle. If you come up on a stage for, like, an award, the last thing you want to do is trip. But let me tell you something. When it comes to the, the spiritual realm, embarrassment is the least of your worries. Because when you trip in battle, it can be deadly. Gird up the loins of your minds. And then he says, here's the second metaphor, be sober-minded. Now, we understand this one. If you're drunk, the mind is not thinking clearly. That is, Christians can be so drunk on worldly thinking, they have no biblical concept of reality. There's a whole sermon here I don't have time to give, but I am deeply concerned at the church at large and her biblical illiteracy. We, we, have a, 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 we have a church today, generally speaking, that is not thinking through biblical lens. We have been influenced, we have become drunk by thinking the way the world thinks. And Peter is saying, hey, gird up the loins of your minds. Uh, be ready for action. Don't be drunk on the ideas of the world. Keep your mind sober so that you're thinking clearly because you will not live out the calling of your holiness if you don't get your mind right. Get your mind the way it's supposed to be so that you can take your calling seriously. And it's out of that that I'm going to do, I think, what may be the most practical thing I've done in three and a half years here. Super, super practical. Uh, I challenged the service last night to do this for the month of May, but I would ask you to at least do this maybe just this coming week. And then if you can do it for the month of May, and what I want you to do, I'm going to give you four things in the remainder of this message, four things I want you to think about to get your mind right before you start your day. Write them on a, a little note card. Put them in your wallet. Put them in your purse. Put them at your nightstand. I don't care where you put it. It will only take you five to ten seconds. But when you get up in the morning, I want you to read these four statements taken out of First Peter here to get your mind right for that day. And then what I want you to do is at the end of that day, the end of that week, or the end of the month of May, and some of you may do it longer, is I want you to ask yourself, did it change my perspective of how I lived that day? Did it change my conversations? Did it change my attitude? Did it change how I reacted to people by just preparing my mind before the day? Here are the four things. I don't often say write down stuff, but write these four things down and at least take this challenge for one week. And then if you want to do it longer, please, please do. Here they are. Number one, Four things to think on to help us grow in holiness is think about the war you're in. Think about the war you're in. Now, where are you getting this from the text? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, not only from gird up the loins of your minds, which I've already talked about is, 
It's battle, soldier-type imagery. But, but listen, guess where Peter uses the phrase, be sober-minded, next? He brings this up not just at the start of the letter, but he brings it up at the end. You know this verse, many of you very well. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. There it is. Be watchful or alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, I am on biblical grounds to say that Peter means be sober-minded in a war time mentality. This is your day every day. You're getting up going to work. You're getting up and going to relationships. You're making financial decisions. You're dealing with thoughts and attitudes and things throughout your day. And the entire time you have an enemy that is on the prowl seeking someone he may devour. This is how you have to think. You say, Pastor, you're being so serious today. I know because this is serious. This isn't patty cake. This isn't a game. This is real life. You're in a battle, Christian. The bullseye's on your back. And you can't wake up in the morning and think that this is, you know, just kind of play a game of pinball and bounce around. No, you're in a war. And you've got to think that way. You've got to prepare your mind for action. And realize that in the little things of that day and in the big things of that day, you are on a battlefield. I mean, you're not going to progress in holiness if you don't think about the war you're in. So you start your day and you just say, today's, today's a battle, today's a war spiritually, and I'm putting on the armor of God. Number two. Not only think about the war you're in, but think about the identity you have. Think about the identity you have. I take this from verse 14. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. As obedient children, do not be conformed. What's interesting here is that Peter doesn't command them to obey. Uh, He doesn't say, be obedient children. Right? You're children of God. So be obedient. And what he says is, you are, follow me, you are obedient children. And it's because you are obedient children that you are not to conform. Are you following the logic of the text? As obedient children, don't conform. He's saying live out of your identity. Because you are obedient children, obey. Let me give you an example of this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Man, this is so important. Please hang with me here. This is huge. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, For by a single offering, that is Christ on the cross, he has perfected, watch this, past tense. He has perfected, For all time, those who are being sanctified, present tense. Did you see that? Watch it again. For by a single offering, he has perfected, past tense. For all time, those who are being, present tense, sanctified. 
Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and this is huge, everybody, right here, venue, right here, okay? Um, because you are perfect in Christ, you are to pursue perfection in your behavior. Because you are the very righteousness of God in your identity, you are to pursue living righteously. Because you are holy in terms of your identity before God, you are to pursue living a holy life. And, and, and here's what's profound about this. Jot this down. It means that holiness is not about becoming something you're not, but living out what you already are in Christ. Preach, preacher. That's good stuff right there. Holiness is not about being something you're not, but living out what you already are in Christ. Here's the simplest way I can say it, okay? Your calling as a Christian, my calling as a Christian, is that what I do starts to line up with who I am. That what I do starts to line up with who I am. And so you've got to remind yourself every day, listen, uh, this is who I am in Jesus. So God, give me the strength to live that way. This is who I am because of your sacrifice. This is who I am because of your perfection. Not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that has been given to me because of Christ. And because of that, would you give me the strength today to live that out? To reflect to the world what I am in Jesus. Think about the war you're in. Think about the identity you have. And number three is think about the direction you're going Think about the direction that you're going. Pick it up again in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, Peter is basically saying, don't go back there. Don't go back to the way you used to think. Don't go back to the way you used to live. Don't go back to those old habit patterns. Listen, there's nothing good for you there and you know it. You've been there, you've done that, you've lived with the consequences. Don't go back to your former ignorance. The mind of a Christian is always forward thinking. Philippians 3, I press on, I press forward to the prize, the call, the upward call of God, forgetting what lies behind. Man, I can't change what happened yesterday, but today I'm moving forward. Today I'm pressing on. Today I am following Christ. Like that's the kind of mentality you have to have. It was the Olympics of 1968. There was a runner from Tanzania who shows up for a marathon injured. He's already cut, bleeding, bandaged. He decides to run the marathon anyway. And he finishes dead last. One hour behind the second to last place finisher. And they ask him at the end of the race, why did you even run? You were already in pain. You were already bleeding. You were already hurt. Why did you even do the race? And what he said preaches on its own. Here's what his quote was. He said, my country did not send me here to start the race. They sent me here to finish the race. 
My country didn't send me here to start the race. They sent me here to finish the race. Hey, look at me. Some of you are bleeding. Some of you are in pain. Some of you are in the darkest moments of life that you've ever been in before. Don't go back. Don't go back. As hard as it is to do, I don't care if you're limping. I don't care if you finish last. I don't care if you're bleeding. I don't care if you're bandaged. I don't care how difficult life is. You must stay focused and press on for the call of God in your life. Forget what's behind and press on to what's ahead. That's the mentality you got to have. So what are you going to do daily for the next week, the next month? Is you're just every day you wake up, I'm in a war. This is who my identity is. Not because of my righteousness, but because of Jesus. And so I'm pressing forward. I'm moving on. I'm not going back, not thinking that way, not going there. I'm pressing forward in the race that God has called me to run. And then here's the last one. And I would argue the most important one is think about what Christ has done. Think about what Christ has done. Verse 17 through 19, and we're done. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing, so live in the fear of God, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, not with like physical money, silver or gold, but with this, verse 19, the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is big. If you've zoned out, zone back in because this is the most important point. Peter mentions two things quickly. Live in the fear of God. If you call God your father, you live with a sense of fear. And we're always asking, what does it mean to fear God? Fear God knowing that you were ransomed. You were purchased not with physical money, but with the precious blood of Jesus. So Peter deals with two things, the fear of God and the valuable sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, how do those two things fit? Let me deal with first... Uh, the, the value issue. Listen, you act in different ways based on the value of something. Let me give you some practical examples. If you've got a cheap pair of sunglasses and a very expensive pair of sunglasses, you treat those two things differently. Or at least you should, right? One, you kind of throw in the back seat. You don't really worry about it. They get broke, no big deal. They were cheap. But if you've spent a lot of money on one and it's valuable to you, you're wiping it every four seconds, putting it in its case, up on a shelf where the dog can't chew it up or the kids break it. You're treating that very differently because it's more valuable to you. Or another example, you get a brand new vehicle and you have children or grandchildren and you don't let them within a 50-mile radius of your new car. I mean, if they even walk by it, okay, you're like waxing it again, all right? But if you've got an old beat-up vehicle, they can run their bike into it. You don't care. It's an old clunker, no big deal. It just doesn't have as much value to you. Or a last example, um, let's say, for instance, the, like if you come to our home, uh, it's going to have, our furniture will have like holes in it. And there's a reason I haven't bought new furniture, because I have children, 
can I get an amen from any parents in here? It's like, why have valuable things when you have children? Because they're only going to break it, right? Climb on it, get hold. And so here's the point, and we all know this to be true. Your approach to something is directly related to how much you value it. Your approach to something is directly related to how much you value it. Right here, Christian, how much do you value Jesus? Is there anything more precious, valuable in your life than Jesus Christ? And you're not a Christian unless you say there's nothing more valuable to me than Jesus. Now, watch. How does that relate to fear? This is big. We're almost done. Fear is nothing more than the careful attention you give to life because you value Jesus. You with me? Fear is the careful attention you give to life, the way you live, because you value Christ. Uh, my son's on the front row. He's going to be mad that I called him out. I'll never forget when he was born, and I'm driving him home from the hospital. Like, I obeyed every stop sign. I stopped at every red light, which for me, like, yellow is just a challenge, all right? Uh, I can beat you, all right? But when I'm driving him home from the hospital, I am obeying every single thing that comes across my path. Why? Because I've got something precious in the back seat. It's not that I'm scared to death. It's not that I'm horrified I'm going to have a wreck. I'm a lot more cautious with how I'm driving because I've been given something that is valuable. Living in the fear of God, listen, Christian, is simply paying very careful attention to how you live because you value Jesus. Or let me put it another way. To dismiss holiness is to devalue the cross. To dismiss holiness is to devalue the cross. When Christ is the most precious thing to you, you don't want anything that would bring reproach on His name. Henry Ironside said it this way, and I think this is, this is the, the final bow. The secret to Christian holiness is heart occupation with Christ. The secret to Christian holiness is heart occupation with Christ. So what does the Word of God say to us today? It says this, you have a calling on your life. You have a purpose. And that purpose is to be holy, which means you've been set apart from the world to display God in the world. And that means you've got to start thinking differently. You've got to remember that you're in a war. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know the direction you're headed. And you've got to think about the cross of Christ and how precious and valuable it truly, truly is. I'll leave you with this. Some of you remember a few years ago, uh, this cruise ship, the Costa Con uh, uh, Concordia, that um, crashed just off of the coast in Italy, um, 39 people died. If you study the story, what you find is that the owners of the ship said that the whole time the, the ship was on the right course. It was following the right path. 
It was doing exactly what it was supposed to do until, listen, the captain decided to go his own way. He decided that he could take it a different direction and got too close, tore a hole in the bottom of the boat, and it cost lives. You see, when you forget your purpose, when you forget your calling, it's so easy to drift away. Faith family, God has placed a call on your life. He sets you apart from the world to display Him in the world. And that, according to the Apostle Peter, is the purpose for which you've been saved. And all God's people said, Amen. Pray with me. Father, thanks for your word to us this morning. What a conviction, what a challenge. And uh, yes, uh, we are all broken mirrors. And there are many issues in all of our lives. That is true, but it doesn't take away from the call that you've placed on our life to pursue, to live, to reflect you in this world. Lord, I pray for those in this room that do not know you, Maybe today, just in hearing your word, they have fallen under the conviction and they know today is the day they must turn and believe and put their faith in Christ. Others in this room, they're going the wrong direction, headed down the wrong path, completely ignoring the purpose and call that you've placed on their life. And today, they just need to return to repent and be renewed in your grace, to be restored in your love. Would you do that, O Father? By your spirit, we pray in the glory of Christ. Amen.